Africans and Africanettes. Uh, welcome to On the Wake Up Radio. Um, this is The Appeal, a.k.a. Walker's Appeal. Uh, I am Oz Brian and my co-host. Robert, sometimes they call me F. You got to stay off the uppers, man. You got to stay off the uppers. Drink less coffee. <laughs> yeah, we got another great show for you guys. I, I, from the bottom of my heart, I miss you guys. I really do. This is like uh, one of the best parts of my week right here. Getting to spend about an hour with you beautiful people. Um, talking about issues, man. Um, talking about real real issues and real perspectives that you just don't hear out in uh, traditional media. And so um, always functioning in the spirit of Sankofa. Uh, looking back before we move forward. Understand where we've been so we can know where we're going. Uh, today's episode is... Uh, is uh, it's Malcolm X Day, so what would Malcolm say? X say. So uh, we just we just celebrated Malcolm X Day. El Haj El Malik El Haj El Malik El Haj Malik El Shabazz Day. Uh, I actually spent it at the mosque. Proud <laughs> of myself. Doing service. My brother uh, Imam Bilal, over on Sutton. You know, if you, if you know, then you know. Uh, bro, Rob, how you spell Malcolm X Day? How'd I celebrate it? Uh, just listening to the speeches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A uh, uh, black shining prince. A uh, black shining prince, Malcolm X. I mean, um, uh, he, he, he grounds so much of what the philosophy should be and is. Um, you know, uh, a fearless speaker, fearless advocate in all forms of life. Uh, and yeah, Do you yeah, think yeah, society yeah. can even tolerate one like that today? Uh, I would say yes. I mean, because it's um, essentially you talk about self-love, especially when you got a point where there's some self-hate. Hmm. You know, you need somebody to talk about self-love when you got some self-hate. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. yeah, Malcolm X feels right, right at home, right at home. And it's not just about talking it. You got to actually walk in it. And, and you know, uh, people people can censor fraud. You know what I mean? That people can censor fraud and they can censor you genuine. And Malcolm X is super genuine. Um, so today, yeah, we're going to write. Yeah. So this week we had uh, Malcolm X Day, uh, Malcolm X's birthday. Also, uh, um, Viola Fletcher. I'm not sure if you listen to this. Young lady's uh, uh, testimony down at the Capitol. 
She's 107 years old, one of the survivors of the 1921 uh, Tulsa race riot. All right. Um, Tulsa Massacre. Uh, I always juxtapose that against uh, the red sum of 1919. Okay. The red sum of 1919, when uh, the end of World War II, and they were killing and lynching blacks all over the country, hence the, the term red summer, because blood ran in the street. And that this happened two years later. I always thought that this, maybe because it was so grand and it was central, but you know, really, you never want to take this out of context. <laughs> I mean, this is this wasn't more the norm than the exception. The Tulsa race riot, the race massacre, was more norm for that time period than the exception. I mean, we don't want to regret or forget about the other towns, the Rosewood that this also happened to in the same time period. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to be discussing that. Um, Felicia Rashad is named Howard University, <clears throat> a dean of fine arts at Howard University. I, I, I just have to bring this up. I mean, I, I, I low-key might have a crush on Felicia Rashad. Might? Okay. Might. I mean, she, that's just comedy. Like, 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 like that's yeah. the life. <laughs> and and if there was ever a point in time when I wish I was eighteen again, so I could mm-hmm. go to Howard and yeah. I would like a flavor fight ass girl, but I would take that class. And she plans on really being hands on. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's like dreamlike to have to go to Howard and be taught by Felicia Rashad. That sounds that like the setup for a new cosmic comedy, actually. <laughs> a different world for real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, Looking for my tootie. Yeah, coming out with a lot of re- reboots. There you go. Looking for a tootie. Looking for my tootie. <clears throat> um, also, uh, this week uh, in history, uh, we remember the address by, uh, to the address before the American Global Geographical Society by Alexander Crump. Um, maybe not a household name. But if you've read Soul of the Black Folks, uh, W.B. Uh, du Bois uh, dedicated the entire chapter to, to Alexander Crummel, who was a, a minister, uh, a black advocate, um, a, a black nationalist, you know, uh, in, the, in the middle of the 1800s, right, born a slave. You know, um, and uh, just, uh, just uh, one of the figures that we really should know. I mean, if 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 the boys is is writing books about him, he must be somebody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, additionally, we have, um, uh, yeah. So, um, you, you we 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 talk a lot of politics on the show, and um, in nineteen seventy one. The Black Congressional Caucus actually presented uh, President Nixon with a list of demands, uh, 61 <clears throat> demands to be exact, that would eradicate racism, provide quality housing for African-American families, and promote full engagement of African-Americans in government. How many of them did got approved? Oh, he dismissed them all. <laughs> he dismissed it out of hand. However, the point that that's what the Black... That's what the Congressional Black Caucus was formed for. And um, when was the Congressional Black Caucus founded? 
1971. This is the first year under Charles Biggs. I, I, we, we were just talking last week. I said, you know, at last, Charles Biggs, when he's governor, even though he's elected in Detroit, Michigan, he considered himself the black representative for the entire country. And he's the one who organizes. The year after, we have a flurry of blacks entering into Congress. Remember, there's a long period in time where we only had three. But by the 71, after the assassination of King, you have blacks being elected. Oh, actually, right after and <clears throat> coming up before, you had a slew of black representatives, um, Stokes, uh, and like first time black mayors in the in the country. After the, the, the country burned, after the assassination of the king, there was a lot of black elected officials who came into office, some genuine, some not. Um, <laughs> and and Charles Biggs was the first <clears throat> chair for the Congressional Black Caucus, and he went right to work. And, and, and it's just sad that we don't have that now. I mean, but we had it then. You know, so it's not like what we're talking about and possibilities are new or radical ideas. We're appealing. We've been appealing to the wrong crowd. That's the problem. The Democrats and the Republicans are not an avenue for actual change at this point. They're an avenue for protecting the status quo. And it's been like that for a minute. And that's why you could have. If either party, if either major political party were about it, you could still have that kind of animation and that kind of movement you do still have that kind of movement you know they they moved real quick after 9 11 to strip you of your rights you know habeas corpus what's that all about you know they, all that stuff they got rid of real quick and they agreed about it too left and right but when it comes to any other kind of progress you know actually doing something you know take this latest pandemic have- for example then it's gridlock gridlock for years gridlock for days so no, that's again. It has to come from the grassroots level. Anything we want to see, we're going to have to organize it ourselves and then present it and move it upwards. Because it's not. There's nothing coming from the top. Nothing. I got a question for you. Uh, what, okay, what's the difference uh, if if you had a Republican Jew and a Republican Democrat? I mean, sorry, a Jewish Republican, Jewish Democrat. What would be the difference in advocacy? What would be the difference in advocacy? Yeah. Probably just their routes, not the... They wouldn't go about it differently. They probably have the same end goal, but their where they draw from would be different. So you'd have the uh, Jewish-minded Democrat they're going to probably be more local, but they're going to still pull from the same areas. They're going to use the same talking points. And at the end of the day, they're all going to use the same corporate money. They actually have dedicated, you know, lobbying groups for yeah, the interests. But that's my point. The, 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 the party doesn't even come into play as long as the mindset is right. Well, the thing is, the, if you're, it depends, because you do have very liberal, you know, Jewish groups. You do have some synagogues where they're not going to be as welcoming to a conservative or a Republican. At the end of the day, though, if that you know conservative Jewish guy needs funding, there's avenues for it. <clears throat> there's gonna he can go back to his you know cultural or religious roots, and they'll fund him based on that. There are groups for it. 
that's all they that they care about as long as you have the quote unquote right mindset because that's what they're those groups are actually funding they don't care yeah. if it's democrat or republican but they're that's not yeah. their yeah. they don't care as long as, as long as they get that piece of the pie who cares who's getting it who cares yeah, who's cooking? that's <clears throat> and that's actually why our community has suffered so much though you know you have someone like candace owens let's say you may not agree with her you may not like the way she presents her ideas but at least she's over there and she does have a space that she's fighting for something we've only we've hitched our wagon to the democrats and how far has it gotten us you know last i heard you weren't black if you didn't vote for joe biden so there you go. <laughs> that's how much yeah. progress we've been able to make you know sticking that way and as it as it turns out, they're going to kick us overboard for the new and improved and growing Latin population. So <laughs> learn to speak Spanish. Well, there's no such thing as a Latin population. Uh, really, Not, uh, oh no no I, I don't say, tell that to, to say, their marketing. Is, tell is, that to their marketing. Is Ted Cruz Latin? Is Marco Rubio Latin? Or are they just so... they're Latin enough when it comes to their voting? <laughs> Marco Rubio is Marco Rubio is more Latin than Ricky Ricardo when it comes time to raise votes. I believe that uh, once the English, once they get rid of the accent, <laughs> but again, it depends on it depends on their audience. Soon, soon his name is going to change to Ruby. <laughs> couple couple generations out of line. No, 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 because if he stays in politics. The Republicans know they're not stupid. They may play the you know ethnic card, but they know that they need the Latino vote. And the Latino population is the largest one shifting to conservative Republicanism. Well, my point is they're also shifting to white whenever it's ready, like like Ted Williams. What you know, Ted Williams is all American guy, and no one even knows he's Mexican. You know what I mean? That's like absolute secret. But once you can once once you can get rid of the accent. Hmm. <laughs> get the comb over going. Latin's, they're, they're, Latin's gone. They're trying to pass. Right. But you know what? That depends on what part of Latin America you're talking about, too, though. You know, Spanish folks come in all different shades. Yes, they do. But the, and there's the going to pass. <laughs> we'll pass. The cultural it incentives won't be, won't be Latin for much longer. If the cultural incentives, you know, don't change, then people's coping mechanisms aren't going to change that's what they're doing the same thing that people have always done you know you gotta if you want people's behavior to change you either got to improve the people or improve the system they're working under and we're not doing either so yeah 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 um before we we jump uh head first into all of this uh i want to uh say a happy physical happy birthday uh to uh, Lorraine Hansen, <clears throat> author of Raising the Sun. She's born this week in 1930. And also the first black governor of New York State, David Patterson, born this week in 1954. David Patterson. I'll never understand why he didn't run for re-election, but I mean, hey. Uh, that was an interesting um, campaign, though. That was. I mean, uh, the David Patterson, son of Basil Patterson, uh, I mean, part of what we call the the Harlem Gang of Four, along with uh, uh, Charles Wrangle and uh, uh, David Dinkins and the great 
Um, uh, why am I, why am I blanking? Did I just have a brain fart? Percy Sutton. <laughs> Percy Sutton. Yeah, the gang of four. Basil Patterson, Percy Sutton, uh, David Dinkins, and Charlie Wangle. The gang of four all, uh, at his best. Um, and also, uh, rest in me, rest in peace, uh, to this week we celebrate the passing of, uh, Mary McLeod Bethune. Founder of Bethune Cookman uh, University in uh, Florida. I mean, I mean, we're building institutions. Uh, she uh, she <clears throat> died today. Well, she was born in 1975. Uh, she was a contemporary of Booker T. Washington, and she used to criticize Booker T. Washington from fundraising to white folks. She did it, you know, uh, independent, straight black community to build her school, uh, while you know Booker T. Washington really went to the Robert Baron. At the fund uh, Tuskegee, um, you know, uh, I guess the different uh, strategies, but you know, black education is still at the forefront of both philosophies, and so uh, we remember Mary McLeod Bethune. And also, today is in, uh, this is interesting this week, right? Because um, uh, poets for for the for the for the literaries, the literary out there, um, Claude McKay and Langston Hughes both died on the same day. <clears throat> uh, the 22nd, uh, it would be uh, two days from now. Um, both died, I mean, and both giants of the Hall of Renaissance. Um, different approaches, but I mean, that's 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 I mean, that's why it's called the Renaissance, right? Yeah. They have different, um, different schools of thought, but uh, they were contemporaries. Um, I was trying to see if uh, Claude McKay was a member of the Nigarati, uh. Uh, as Langston Hughes was with Zora Neale Hurston. Um, so the Nicaragua was a, a, a literary movement, uh, part of the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, uh, for those of you who are, <clears throat> are inclined, will know that yeah, there was a, a couple of schools of thought during that period of time about how we should behave. And so there was a younger group that called itself the Nicaragua, led by uh, Wallace Thurman, a bunch of uh, literaries at the time. Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes, uh, who wanted to redefine what identity was compared to the respectability Negroes of the uh, generation before. Um, Sounds like you still have that fight going today. Yeah. It's just not with yeah, defined sides. <laughs> listen, listen. Who, who you like? Who you tell her, brother? Um, uh, also included in that group were Robert Bruce Nugent. Um, yeah, Zora Hurston, yeah. Uh, yeah, and they and they had a publication called Fire uh, at the time. I'm not sure, which it probably has been tried to revive, or there have been attempts to revive it. But the uh, Great Little Man Movement. And Claude, Claude McKay. Um, so Claude McKay was uh, a writer for uh, The Negro World with Marcus Garvey. Um and if I'm not mistaken, I believe, and it's always, this is always the, the interest. Actually, this is very interesting. That's right. And you know, once you, again, once you look back, everything becomes clear. You got to understand where you're going. Claude McKay was a part of the UNIA. The UNIA was a, 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 a repatriation movement back to Africa led by Marcus Garvey. Uh, so, 
as to my understanding, felt that the UNIA wasn't radical enough. Uh, so he joined an organization called the African Blood Brotherhood uh, with uh, Cecil Briggs. And why this is of note? Why, why, why is this of note? Uh, because the African Brotherhood, Blood Brotherhood, actually went down to Tulsa, Oklahoma to defend the town. They, they brought artillery and they tried to be part of that armed struggle. Um, I don't know if there's uh, if there's evidence of Claude McKay being part of the constituents or part of the African Brotherhood <laughs> that went down to Tulsa. But I thought that's pretty interesting coming full, three, full, full circle. Now that this uh, sister is in Congress uh, this week uh, testifying, uh, 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 making a, an appeal for reparations for the for the race massacre, uh, to the Bible Flusher. you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's all interconnected. You know, you got to start seeing how all these moving parts come together. But yeah, the the African Brother Brotherhood did go down to um, Tulsa to try their best to defend the town from the, the white mobs and um, Cecil uh, uh, Claude McKay was a member of the <clears throat> African government. So Rob, what, what do you think reparations is going to look like uh, for Tulsa, Oklahoma? Hmm. What I think it would look like or what I think it should look like? I don't know. I mean, I, I would, oh, I would see it's probably going to be a bunch of studies to see the impact of uh, past uh, legal inequities <laughs> and what they can do about it, and then a bunch of nothing. That's probably what will happen. A bunch of studies, a bunch of talking, a bunch of nothing. Maybe a museum. You know, uh, what I think should happen should be investment in that town, actual targeted investment in redevelopment, in you know cultural development that is just that simple it doesn't have to be cash payments you know and that's usually the stupid counter argument anyway because that's the easiest thing for people to identify with it riles people up anyone who's in part of the out group will automatically be like that's not fair my taxes my 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 and then you start the ethnic infighting which is the plan that's why you won't get every other group who's been wronged in any way by the United States usually got some form of reparations or at least an acknowledgement. The only ones who really continually get screwed are the natives. <clears throat> Native Americans, they they get the short end of the stick too all the time. But every other group will acknowledge and pay off motherfuckers from other side of the planet that we didn't even screw over. It's like, oh, somebody else genocided you here. Have something. But our own mistakes, we can't recognize. So it's going to be a lot harder for us to do anything effective. Because if we recognize it, then we actually have to do something about it. We're not about that shit. So you think that this uh, <clears throat> uh, this this testimony down at the Capitol Hill is this uh, dog and pony show, bro? It, the one thing that we do successfully is put on a show. <clears throat> at this point, our government is one big reality TV show. Donald Trump was late. He should have been president like two cycles earlier. Shit is a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so let me even as a nation as a nation we went from you know we do these things not because they're easy but because they're hard we're going to go to the fucking moon (laughs) within a decade now it's like yeah maybe we'll get to mars kind of i don't know maybe (laughs) just complete it, it just clown show shit for decades you know it's hard it really is to you uh, you grow up in the shadow of what this nation is supposed to be or could be the the idea that it could be better and then over years you learn that the people who are actually running the show have zero interest in being better or even trying to measure up to that standard lowest common denominator has ruled for so long that they don't know how to do anything else that's why you need a reset that's why we need to get away from the leadership that we have now because they're inept yeah they've learned they've learned by example from people who are inept and corrupt so they don't know any better and quick correction it's Cyril Briggs is the brother founded a uh, African blood brotherhood they were actually members of the UNA who broke off and uh, there was a chapter of ABB um, African blood brotherhood down in Tulsa who um who who organized to resist the the, the racist attacks? Uh, that's uh, how the, the, that's their I guess the uh, high point and down in Tulsa. So uh, yeah, so Cyril Briggs and, and uh, Claude McKay may not have actually been there, but the organization that they are part of had a definite presence in Tulsa in trying to uh, beat back uh, oppression there. Uh, so quick correction on that face. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, with regards to reparations, you know, I think whenever you start putting dollar figures on on reparations, I believe you weaken your argument. It's got to be something that's sustainable and not something mm-hmm. that you can. Because like the, the the analysis is the smart analysis I've always heard is like, where are you going to spend it? Right? If I gave you a million yeah. dollars today, <laughs> where are you spending it? With the same white institutions, <laughs> so the people who benefit, like, like, uh, this is tangential, but um, uh, I think it was uh, Tyler Perry. Mm-hmm. There was a couple uh, incidents where I think yeah, Shaquille O'Neal, where they they would go to stores. Like I think Tyler Perry played for everybody's uh, groceries at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that sounds well and good, but the people who Walmart benefits from that more than anybody else. I mean, <laughs> they're billionaires. I'm not quite sure. That's uh, the problem like, when you only have a handful of people who own everything. <clears throat> That's the problem. Yeah. You would have to go, instead of fighting a system, if you're actually going to fight to reform a system, even if it's not like, oh, they're my mortal enemy, but you just want to see changes, then you have to be able to separate yourself from what you want to change. Otherwise, you're still dependent on it and they'll have no reason to listen to your demands. Bada bing, bada bang. That's what I always say, right? Uh, racism is a system of oppression. <clears throat> In order to escape that system of oppression, you have to create your own system so you're not dependent on that racist system. Amen. Hallelujah. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm glad there is a discussion because there has to be a discussion. Uh, I'm concerned that it'll just pivot to some kind of uh, cheap symbolism um, that'll 
not advance you, uh, and not anyway nearly come compensate you. It's like yeah. having a bad negotiator, right? Uh, my mentor uses this terminology. You know, you send some people to the store for eggs. Uh, and real good negotiators come back with, uh, well, you send somebody to the store for two eggs. Good negotiators come back with, you know, three eggs and two chickens. Yeah. Uh, bad negotiators come back with a IOU. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of bad. We got a lot of IOUs. <laughs> we got a, a lot of bad negotiators working on our behalf. Enough, I don't think that we actually have bad enough. negotiators working on our behalf. We have people who negotiate in bad faith. They're bad not there for the same goal. Yeah, yeah which is yeah. again, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm being nice. <clears throat> you're right. Absolute sellouts. Absolute sellouts. Yeah, I'm not going to harp yeah. on it, but you look at our local elected reps. Would you trust them to deal to cut that deal in Congress? On your behalf, or anybody in this neighborhood's behalf, I don't think yeah, so. Man, not, well, we got, well, again, it, we, 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 when I talk about when we talk about these things, it's not that we're, we're dreaming of some kind of utopia. You know, if anybody ever in Congress was going to advocate for reparations or or for Black life, Charles Diggs would have been it. And if and if he couldn't do it, I have no faith in the current stock of uh, elected to do it. In other words, well, no, he no. did his part by even bringing the legislation. That's what he's supposed to do. Okay, that the public is there to either push or inspire that legislation and keep it going. If I believe in what you're pushing and what you're doing, my job at the very least is to make sure you get that seat again to keep it going. That's it. You know, but the people we have now, they wouldn't even go that far. You see the kind of no. negotiating tactics that are employed. It's just like advanced <laughs> begging. <laughs> exactly. Even within their own party structure, they're afraid to do anything. So how can I expect you to fight the opposition? Any real change has to come from below and outside. The, the, the structures we have in place right now are not even designed. They're, they're designed to do exactly what they're doing. But they're not interested in helping anyone except for their own rarefied circle. Keeping things yeah. going. That's it. Um, actually, I also want to make two quick comments. Um. <clears throat> So, first, uh, it has to do with the Hiram Montserrat. Uh -huh. So, Hiram Montserrat is a colorful figure here in New York City politics. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's a brother I know daily. Um, uh, now, he's done some very personal things. God damn it. And he has a history. Google him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, there was an incident with a girlfriend and a broken bottle, and somebody got cut. They tried to move him out of the Senate. They tried to unseat him unsuccessfully. Uh, he had a nonprofit, uh, a nonprofit, but he was <clears throat> paying folks from the nonprofit to work on the campaign. He did jail time for that. Um, and uh, but as soon as he came out, he was reelected to district leader in his district. 
I mean, <laughs> but most importantly, he's independent, meaning he challenges Meeks, he challenges the counting machine at all, every opportunity he gets. Now, his tactics may not be my favorite, but uh, I understand <clears throat> his mission. Uh, so I, I mentioned that he did some time. Um, whenever you're dealing with uh, campaign money, they don't play with that. Anyhow, you know, he did a time, right? So uh, this, the, 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 especially in this today's day and age where we're talking about remove the box and we're trying not to penalize people who've already paid their debts to society, uh, city council passes legislation that says if you have any kind of uh, convictions in your past, you can't run for city council. <clears throat> now, I understand some of you say, like, "Yeah, well, you don't, you don't want, the, you don't want somebody like that running." I get you, but you know, politics is different than everything else because the the bar is the requirements are so low. In order to run for city council, you got to be eighteen and a, and a high school diploma or GED. That's it. So, are we actually <laughs> judging it. them based on their morality or just whether or not they got caught? But but that's my point. You, you know. Um, <laughs> Because if that's the case, it's the we're, public. It's there's the plenty of people that determines that. You, we, when we <clears> go to when we go to the polls and we pull the lever or we pull in the circle, we're determining what we want, right? Uh, if yeah. a person is, again, a person has fulfilled their debt to society, um, I'm reminded of William Kunstler. All right, William Kunstler, an attorney for Malcolm X. Martin Luther King, Sada Shakur, um, uh, the Black Panthers. And uh, I've told this story many a times, and he was also the attorney for uh, Larry David. He was also the attorney for John Gotti. And so when asked, how can you be the attorney for Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, the Black Panthers, and then turn around and represent John Gotti, he said, uh, if the system doesn't work for everyone, <clears throat> The system, in other words, innocent until proven guilty, uh, uh, due process, that has to work for everyone. Because if it doesn't work for everyone, then it works for no one. And um, I think it's, a, it's an injustice. Uh, what, uh, just again, and this is this, this legislature, the city legislature passed this specifically for Hiram, specifically for one person. Because he's and they they did it retroactively, so we're not talking a passed law now that affected something if he did ten years ago. Hmm. And I, I do, I mean, I do believe that's unjust. I mean, um, yeah, they're protecting their own interests. It's, I heard a quote recently that uh, from uh, Chris Hedges <clears throat> that politics is the uh, politics is the mastery of uh, fear. And he's right. I, I think that does resonate with how politics is done in America nowadays. The I, I, I would, you know, going on 14 years now ago when I started this magical journey, I was so naive still, you know, in my view of this. But it's the, the people who have weaseled into these positions have zero interest in anything else. So unless you are using the politics of force, fear, and leverage 
you're not going to get anything. I don't care how many meetings you have, who you know, how nice you are, how many signatures you get on that petition. If you don't have something that actually makes them come to that meeting, can bend their influence, you're wasting your time. That's it. Unless we start organizing and having methods of pressure that are direct pressure, that directly get the point across that either this is going to happen with or without you, we're not going to get anything further. The parties, especially out of the Democrats, they have zero interest in doing anything. They are Not only have they seized power from what's essentially a dead party, Trump made the Republicans look just as inept as you could. They, and they he sucked the animated part out of that party, what was left of the GOP. The GOP had been a kind of hollow corpse for a while. You know, the Tea Party is what saved it. And Trump took all that energy and what really made the Tea Party even viable and pulled it over to him. That's who's... If you had a Trump party right now, that's what would be viable, not the GOP. The Democrats are just happy to be in power again. And they're going to keep the Republicans there because they need them as a balance. Those two parties need each other to keep the reality show going. So that's where we're at right now, from my estimation. So unless you have something, you know, that old stupid, well, we can... Perfect example. They used the same stupid line that they used with Hillary that they did with Biden. Oh, we can pull him left. How's that been working out for you? Yeah. So, you know, the parties are actually going to shift again if they survive. And you're going to see the quote-unquote right-wingers conservatives making that pitch to be more the working-class party. They may not do it in legislative terms, but they're going to make that pitch. So what, what I'll add to that is, uh, you know, I have a, I have, a, I start with a philosophy of decentralization. Decentralization. I mean, in order for you have true democracy, it has to be open to all. Everyone has to be empowered. So, uh, you know, I don't know when I'm dealing with a politician, no matter what office they're running for, I don't know what they're going to do when they get in office. I don't even trust what they say. Who cares? Uh, so I try to. I try to, that's why we meet them early and we yeah. make demands early. So that's why, you know, um, one of the things we encourage, uh, I think I said it on the show before, we encouraged every city council candidate we met to run people for judicial <clears throat> delegates. That's why we make sure people run, you know, uh, independent district leaders, even county committee. So therefore, that's what we get. Now, when, if whoever wins, wins. But we want to make sure if we, we put an effort that we get something now. I'm not waiting for a promise to something that you're going to do when you're in office. As a prophet, it comes to the school. But I know that if we have, if we're able to use that person to open the door for other people, therefore, if racism truly is a system, therefore, that means I'm attacking you as judge. That means I'm attacking you as uh, judicial delegate to make sure that's the Supreme Court judge. That means I'm attacking. It's you know, it's a, I'm hitting, I'm hitting you with a whole, body shots and headshots. Right now, I'm not waiting for you, any one person, to be panacea. You know, I think that's how we should play politics. Get what you want now. Think about some way that you can open up the system, not for yourself, but for for the greater community. 
in that process. You should be thinking communally. That you know, um, uh, a couple of the, the best, be, yeah. couple of best examples I've been part of was uh, uh, in 2014 when Munir Avery ran for state senate down here in New York City, and we were able to work with the Muslims and do a huge push on county committee. No, that means open up pe- the process so people can see a little bit more, right? Go down to the Cantons for the county committee meeting, see how they, how, how Frank Bowles manipulates that process for your own eyes. Don't, don't let me tell it. See for your own eyes. Now you understand why we do what we do. We talk about Jim Crow. Um, <clears throat> when we worked with, uh, met with, uh, uh, Miranda, that was beautiful, right? I mean, Miranda was a candidate for borough president. But he had a whole bunch of folks running under him for district leaders, for state assemblies, uh, for, 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 for judicial delegates, right? We, then we tried to push somebody for judge. You know, we're attacking the entire system. Outset, as candidates, not, I'm not waiting for you to promise me something for, uh, for when you get in the office as a politician, but I want to see what you can do as a candidate. Uh, and that also speaks to your philosophy. If you say, no, I can't do that, then I know, okay. Now you're already, I know you're scared. I don't got to guess that you're going to be scared. I know what you're going to do. You got to put pressure on them at the outset to do something that's criminal. I, I think in doing so that you really get to understand what you're working with. Um, I have a dear brother. I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> Normally I would, but I'm not going to say his name. Um, you know, he was pushing against the police precinct, right? <clears throat> I want to know that you that you took a position against that police precinct right now, not later. Now, because if you don't do that now, then I know to cut you off. I know, okay, I know what I'm working with. But sometimes we get caught up in personality. The person who's not fighting for your own interests, and you just say, "Oh, I like them because they're my friend," even yeah. though they they voted for everything against you. Everything you want, they don't. They they quiet That's not your friend. Do you still support them? That's not really your friend. So we got we got to put those we got we got to put those things together. We got to see that whole picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I man. You have issues. Did that person support you on your issue? Oh, uh, well, you know, no, no. Okay, then I mean, this is but you you don't know how to advocate for yourself. You got to get out <laughs> the inferiority stage and don't ride the back of the bus. But yeah, I, I digress. <laughs> I digress. Yeah, so that's Hiram. Yeah. So you know, um, I think it's a travesty uh, that what they've done, and um, you know, again, it's just fair and just. And you can't have the city legislature talking about remove the box for employment for people who've been formerly incarcerated, uh, and then take away this guy's right to run and let the people have a choice. That, that's not just. It's okay uh, if I, well, because if you're a convict or, you know, <clears throat> reformed or whatever, if I let you vote or, you know, get you your right to vote back, then that's not a real danger. If anything, at most, I've got someone who's going to vote for me, potentially, or probably isn't a motivated voter fine that's not a danger if i have someone who has actual prison experience as a convict who may be serious about reform 
and this crazy mofo actually gets elected, he's going to push for legislation. He or she's going to, you know, actually want to see activism on this. That's a danger to the rest of this institution and the good shit we've got going. Can't have that. So this makes perfect sense once you understand the people that you're dealing with. Yeah. Also, speaking of, um, with that exact background that you're speaking of, there's a brother uh, who's running openly on that platform uh, named Angel Cruz, who's running for judge in the Bronx. If you live in the Bronx, Gold Angel Cruz, brother has real life lived experiences. Uh, he has a, the kind of compassion for for justice, and he, he he's not he, he's we got to stop looking at judges as these kind of uh, deities on high. They're regular folks who you vote for, and they should be relatable. They should be able to understand your experiences in order to pass fair judgment, right? And Angel Cruz um, is running for judge in the Bronx, <clears throat> and, and we we support. Um, yeah, that's just it's just a good brother. I mean, <laughs> just a a real good good brother running for judge um, who's impartial who's been through the system, right? Who a judge gave him a second chance and who he leaked at that chance and made the best of it, went on to practice law himself after after doing his time. You know what I mean? So, um, Angel Cruz. But actually, he wasn't the second person I wanted to recognize. The second person I wanted to recognize <coughs> was our new, our new, the youngest black uh, state legislature in New York State history, Khalil Anderson. I'm not sure. He's probably not going to hear this. But um, <laughs> he is, I, I, I know in Brooklyn, 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 uh, Brooklyn has Charles Barrett. So if you if you are radical and you want you want the system challenged, uh, you got Charles and Inez Barron who make you feel good, who give you hope in the system that okay, you're not a, you're not even though you might not get everything you want, you got some kind of voice. And I think now in Southeast Queens, uh, for the first time probably since Cynthia Jenkins, <clears throat> and I'm not even sure if you guys know who Cynthia Jenkins is. <laughs> That's before my time. But I heard a lot about Cynthia Jenkins. You now actually have a voice in state in state legislature, legislature period, state or city, who's actually willing to take a hard line position and think they believe, making principled decisions, not worried about who likes it or not. Case in point, you know, there's a we have this push out there for this 116 precinct, mm-hmm. serious push. I mean, serious push. Pushed by people who complain that we don't have hospitals and our schools up. But I'm pushing for a 116 precinct. Put, put, being pushed by people who send their kids outside of the for the education. Because <laughs> they think our, the education is right here. So. Mm-hmm. But I'm pushing for a precinct. Um, well, and again, all the we got to lock them up. <clears throat> that's the only, so, that's only solution. What, what, me- and what message are you sending to the kids? Exactly. That's what I just said. If I can't throw you in, you know, if you're not going to go to this shitty school that we have, then I'm going to lock you up. And uh, and a lot of times you have politicians who kowtow and don't want to get anybody upset and want to toe the middle of the line. And I want to thank uh, Keel Anderson for taking a position, saying, "No, nah, we don't believe policing is an issue. That's not the answer, 
right? Uh, just, just because you throw more cops. And, and then did you hear what happened at uh, the 105th Precinct this week, Rob? No. Uh, there was a cop uh, who got caught giving a bri- doing bribes, taking kickbacks from tow companies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he, he runs a hell of a show. Uh, mm-hmm. 105th Precinct. The largest standing police force in the country. I so mean, when you look, it, at, if you're going to talk about it, you can't look at our domestic policy without looking at how we spend our money and what our priorities are. That's you right. Still, if you're going to really look at the problems that deal with police brutality or anything, then you have to look at how we prioritize, how we deify that position. You know, for so long, they've been beyond reproach. All that needs to change. That's why taking away qualified immunity was such a big move, you know, when New York did it. That that actually at least allows them to be looked at like an actual normal civilian if they're on trial or if they're in a situation where they need to be investigated. Mm-hmm. That, that shouldn't have been considered a victory. That should have been the norm. Let, let, let me let me put these three dudes on blast. Robert Smith, Robert Hassett, and Heather Bush are individually charged with bribery and other crimes. Brooklyn federal court on Tuesday for taking part in a scheme between September of 2016 and October 2020. Smith and Hassett are charged with selling personal data of crash victims to injured and physical therapists in order for them to solicit customers. Uh, in another incident, allegedly smuggled at least one kilo of heroin into Queens while in possession of a gun. Uh, all three defendants live in Long Island, uh, pled not guilty uh, to all charges. Hassett and Blunch, who are both active officers, um, and Smith retired uh, in, in March. Uh, uh, both active in NYPD and had suspended without pay. The 105th. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Got to get that retirement fund up somehow, right? <laughs> it's not going to buy itself. They huh? get pensions after two years and great health care. Whatever. Like I said, that boat's not going to buy itself, buddy. Got to get you want that boat? Move this heroin. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, clearly I'm saying for taking hardline positions. Also, I mean, yeah. Taking hard line positions, um, and the work he's doing in Albany is simply phenomenal. And again, trying to create a real democracy. Uh, the brother's only 23 years old, um, taking positions that you know none of our other assembly people are going to take. I'll put it that way. <laughs> none of our other assembly people are going to take challenging the system and can fight the power to be. Brother Khalil, appreciate you. Uh, what next? Um, man, this time is time. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good show. Yeah. Time flies when you have fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what else do we have on the docket? Um, uh, let me pull this up. Yeah, so uh. 
what do you think um, Malcolm X would have to say about uh, since we're talking about the Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, testimony today, what do you think uh, his take on this would be? Huh. I, I honestly think he would probably be doing some outside fundraising. He probably wouldn't even be down for the reparations per se from the government. He'd probably want people to do their own. No okay. Because okay. okay. again, trying to get it, what kind of reparations are you even talking about? Honest, because when it comes to the natives, <clears throat> the indigenous people. When you were talking about giving them reparations, it's like, all right, we'll, we'll not take more of your land. So it's not really even a form of reparations. Unless you find something on it. Yeah, unless there's some oil or some minerals or something. And yeah, then, bit it. All bets are off. Yeah. You know, as we saw a couple of years ago. It, it, so it, <clears throat> even in that, like the only people I can even think of, the only group I can even think of that was compensated in any way like that, were the Japanese? Even that was like kind of half-hearted. And they were probably under. They were probably undercompensated. If you really think. Oh, about they it. were totally. They were totally undercompensated. You know, it was just like, hey, remember that house you had? Well, there's a nice white family living there now. So, here, have a couple of, you know, have like two grand. Get out of here. <laughs> it's like that's, that's start the over. Your price tag on it, right? You want something <clears throat> that's sustainable, that uh, will continue to produce. Some kind of value for you generations. Can, yeah. Well, what we're even talking about, if you're talking about, you know, black Americans and trying to assign some kind of reparations, you're talking about lost wages equivalent to the labor that the agricultural and industrial labor that helped keep the country going for hundreds of years. Are you really going to, could you afford I, 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 to actually pay that? Also, not just the labor, right? The fact that it takes <clears throat> name. Taking a person's language. I don't know that you can put a real uh, monetary number on that. Yeah, but that's again what most of the damage is done. But they're not going to be able to accurately. You you can't. I don't know that you can put a monetary figure on that. And if you do, would it be accurate? I don't know. All right. Um, If if this were, if we were like. 3,000 years ago, mm-hmm. someone took your eye. It would be justice. Yeah, the whole eye for an eye deal. Yeah. <laughs> but even that, that's just vengeance. That's not justice <laughs> or recompense. <laughs> for it to be justice, it's like, okay, if I take your eye, if you take my eye, now my archery sucks. I can't hunt as well. My death perception is shot. Right? So what would be justice? I can't hunt or survive as well so i need some way to be able to survive so justice would actually be like i need a goat <laughs> or a cow you know that would be justice i remember, I remember reading something like uh, like suppose uh you killed somebody mm-hmm. right um justice would be you are now responsible for taking care of that person's family yeah because you're you're actually taking the place of what was lost yes <clears throat> I guess it's the same thing. <laughs> an eye for an eye. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, no, an eye for an eye wouldn't be because now you're just both blind and both of you're going to starve. Good job. <laughs> it's you know it, that's that's not justice. That that is vengeance. 
at best, or like misplaced revenge. Good revenge, you at least live through. <laughs> Bad revenge, two graves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why I think, um, okay, if you were to have that kind of conversation, you would need somebody like, uh, you would need somebody like a Kwame Ture or a freaking uh, Malcolm X to even have that kind of debate or to have someone for, you know, a legal body like Congress or whatever to bounce those ideas off of someone who is that kind of an advocate. Otherwise, you're not going to get any kind of real reparations. You're not going to get anything of substance. You would get something like the Dave Chappelle scan where everybody gets like a couple of million and just gives it right back through whatever <laughs> stupid right. purchases and companies that we already saw. Right. There you go. You know, <clears throat> you would need something targeted so that that money stays within the, not even like a geographical area, but you know, that would have to be where it would start. You, you already, you know, through, you know, tax data and census tracts, that there are specifically heavily black areas. So if that's the group that you're looking to have some kind of reparations for, then that's where your federal spending is going to go. That's where your targeted spending is going to go. And it won't just be, you know, like, here, have this loan because you're women or you're a woman or you're black. It would be like, no, you know, here's an abatement. Within this area, this is what we're building. This is how much it's going to cost. This is, you know, this land is up for sale. We're going to actually open up an area real infrastructure spending stuff like that 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 would do it. but just cash in hand that actually wouldn't help anybody except for the same donors that already are in power yeah 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 what's up <laughs> um, something something that would be really good like especially now considering the situation that the entire country's in Get more entrepreneurs. Get you know, make a system where it's not just you're taking out loans, but people need to reopen businesses and businesses that are sustainable in this new economy. That's not easy. So that would be some way you could actually have some type of reparations and something that would be paid forward, generational. You you need to work on building generational wealth. That's the yeah. actual sticking point. You know, whether it takes yeah, the they, reparations or anything else, it's the missing generational wealth that's the problem. Um, a few years back, I remember Cuomo, there were incentives if you wanted to start a brewery, like a beer company. There were plenty of incentives. So Why the fuck do I want my, to make more IPAs? That is some hipster bullshit. No, my, no, my point is you can incentivize industries. You can incentivize the creation of whole industries. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it, so that, so uh, as far as we subsidize all world, kinds of crap. That's yeah. not the problem. We know what methods we can use. It's just where it's targeted. You know, it's it's a lack of will and it's a lack of vision. It's a lack of desire. It, this is shit they don't want to do. <laughs> you know, it's just that simple. That's like when Bernie, you know, took his stupid consolation prize and was like, oh. We're going to have all these working groups. Anybody with any common sense knew that that was such bullshit. You can have working groups for decades. We've had working groups on these issues before. We know what kind of answers will work. We've seen other examples of what does work in other countries. It's just we don't want to do it. <laughs> they don't give a fuck. Yeah. How hard is that to understand? Yeah. 
that's why the answers, the solutions that we want to see, honestly, I think has to be modeled or at least started on a smaller level by whatever groups, by ourselves, whatever. So that there's that working example in action so people can either gravitate to it and then you have that situation where it's like, look, either we're going to keep doing what we're doing and people will gravitate to it and benefit from it or you can help us and be a part of it. But either way, this is happening. That's what advocacy yeah. has to start looking like if we want to get any results. This is happening. Either you get with it or you don't. Because very, doing, very, very, doing it the other way and actually depending upon the institutions that we have right now, it's not working. It's not working for anybody. And that's part of the big problem. That's part of the malaise that is setting in that all across <laughs> the country you have people that you wouldn't have had a capital riot a couple of years ago not because things were mm-hmm. so great but because people at least were still tolerable they were they they still thought that the stuff that they were hearing might even if it was bullshit hold some kind of promise even that is gone for a lot of people right now yeah that's a problem i agree i agree um but we are, we are, we are coming up on the end of the show, um, brothers and sisters. It's been uh, tremendous as always. Um, this is we celebrate Malcolm X Day this week. Haj El Haj Malik El Shabazz Day. I like the old Uh Brother Rob, do you have any closing thoughts for the beautiful people out there? I guess you know what I do listen to a lot of his speeches as often as I can but you know I try and take some of that with me too not just the words but the idea the energy so I hope everybody takes a little bit of that in their organizing in their whatever they do um yeah um yeah yeah (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna close with um, a quote from Malcolm X uh, again, uh, celebrating Malcolm X Day, the Black Shadow Prince. Nobody can give you freedom. Nobody can give you equality or justice or anything. If you're a man, you take it. Some uh, Africans and Africanettes, and those of you who are African adjacent. Uh, Till next time, this is On the Wake Up Radio. This is The Appeal, a.k.a. Walker's Appeal. I am Oz Bryan, our producer is Sister Cindy Ashby, uh, and engineer Sister Ashby, and uh, my co-host. Rob, now you know why they call me F. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> your energy, your energy, energy, energy. You got to calm down. <laughs> Till next week, brothers and sisters. Uh, till we meet again. Don't let the white man speak for you, and don't let the white man fight for you. Well, I think to teach a man to hate himself is much more criminal than teaching him to hate someone else. And look at you. Who taught you to hate yourself? Well, it's one of our boys. The sun shines bright in my old Kentucky home. Don't be-
beat me, master. Please don't beat me, master. Don't beat your tired old body. No, no. What makes the so-called Negro unable to stand on his own to see? He has no self-confidence. He has no proud confidence in his own race. Because the white man destroyed your and my past. Destroyed our knowledge of our culture. And by having destroyed it, now we don't know we have any achievement, any accomplishment. And as long as you can be convinced that you never did anything, you can never do anything. The beat of the tom-toms to send messages from one tribe to another is still used by the natives. What do he say? This is why the white man, his little children, he tells them about George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, all these white heroes. But he, we, we are never taught, taught about any black hero. Only someone we're shown in history is my grandfather was picking cotton. Gone are the days when my heart was young and gay. Gone are my friends from the cotton fields away. Cotton picking don't move me. No. But when it comes to uh, uh, teaching the black people something about great black men who stood their ground, who were scientists, who were uh, uh, civilizers, who were fathers of culture and civilization, the white man has shrewdly written that role out of the textbook. And today, the effect that it has on you and me, we don't think we can stand on our own two feet.
bragging about you one of the Jones or one of the Browns or one of the Smiths. As long as you run around here bragging about your part in this so-called American uh, democracy, then you will always be looked down upon as a chump by the white man. You never will be given recognition nor respect. Your problem will continue to go unsolved and we'll still be in the same rut or ditch a thousand years from now that we're in right now. So here it is, y'all. Are you tired of being censored, shadow banned? Shit, are you just tired of creating content and making these platforms famous? Well, I'm asking you to support OTW2. It's the black YouTube. Why, you may say? Because our content is important and necessary. And because anytime we tell the truth, they shut us down on their platform. So we are behind enemy lines, so we cannot complain. We just gotta move accordingly, smarter. So since we know many of our people won't just jump ship and go to a black site, what I'm telling you to do is don't post everything that is great on their platforms. Give them perfect people a 10 second snippet, a 15 second snippet, and make them come to OTW Tube and come check you out. Support black things or stop complaining. Because only unity, black unity, and black economics can change our situation. Wake up, y'all. OTW Tube is where it's at. Look it up. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Deang. Cindy Ashby Production. On the wake up.